Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Even if you fall off a billboard, God willing, you still have to get up and get back in the race. Today's guest says kindness is cool, and he shares his story in a very creative way. Rush Johns, welcome. What is going on? I am so excited for this. This is very long overdue. <laughs> How are you? I am well. How are you? Celia wanted to ask you some questions and knows a little bit about your story because I have been listening to you for the last hour and a half <laughs> while she did my makeup. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I'm more than happy to answer any, any kind of questions you might have. What caused you to fall like the three stories? What caused me to fall three stories? I had recently moved to Portland, Oregon, and I was working for a company that installed billboards, outdoor billboards. One day I was climbing a billboard that looked like it needed to be pulled off because it was falling off. And I don't know if you know, realize this, but billboards, the smaller billboards, they're called poster panels, and they're actually paper with glue, wheat paste, that you actually unfold this paper and you brush it on, just like wallpaper. And when the weather gets nasty, like it does occasionally in Portland, Oregon, the paper starts to curl and fall off. So when it gets too heavy, you have to take it off and restart from a fresh panel. And so it's a process. So I was up on this billboard, but the paper was curled out. So when I went to put my ladder over the top, they're called hook ladders. And it's almost like putting a ladder over the top of a ledge. And then you hang down from that ladder. Well, the paper had pushed it out and I couldn't see the top of the billboard. So when I pulled on it to make sure it was secure, it just came through the paper and I fell forward off the deck and then grabbed the hold of it. I had, I broke eight rungs of aluminum ladder that slowed me down. And fortunately, there was a lady across the street at a bus stop and her son was watching me. And he goes, that guy just jumped off the sign. <laughs> and so, so somebody saw me fall, fortunately. Otherwise, it may have been a different ending, but that's what happened. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that he was there. Yeah, that is crazy. Crazy insane. When emergencies happen, like if somebody is there, that can make a difference between life and death. I mean... Whoa. And it was crazy because I was still conscious. <gasps> I was still conscious. And I looked at my arm and I'm actually this finger, I kind of displaced this finger. And I looked at my finger and oh, that's, that's totally <laughs> broken. <laughs> and then my arm, I looked at my arm and it was, I had what was called a clothesline fracture. So my wrist was shattered and my elbow was shattered and it basically stretched my arm out. So my arm wasn't in the same position as it normally would be. Yeah, I saw from the picture that you sent me, there was a lot of pins going through your arm. Yeah. Did you go into shock? Eventually, yeah. 
by the time I got to the hospital, I was in shock. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. Because I had damaged my arm so much, I had no feeling in my, my right arm. My leg was a little banged up, but this finger was really painful because it was really broken. I was in the ambulance with my finger next to the EMT and he kept bumping it. <laughs> And I was getting mad at him. And we passed the hospital on the way to the hospital because I had to go in Portland. They have critical care centers because I fell so far and I had so much damage. They were taking me to a critical care center rather than a, just a standard hospital. I was in ICU for, I don't know, a long time and two years in rehab and reconstruction. So it took two years for me to get back. Then I became a safety director and wrote fall protection programs. And I became a firefighter and an EMT. Yeah, you have had so many chapters. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. But how crazy had that never happened? You probably wouldn't have become that, right? Exactly. That's when you think about how you see a circumstance versus how you see the circumstance, you know, it's happening for you versus happening to you. And I think a lot of people think poor me, which is exactly at times, which, you know, you cannot help but feel impacted because I was a musician. I was a drummer. I played professionally. I, I toured. I had actually earned a lot of money playing music over the years as a drummer. I wasn't Def Leppard, so I didn't, I didn't continue that because I happened to be not playing at the time. However, my life did change. And so I had to pick up the pieces and decide, well, what am I going to do with this circumstance now? How am I going to deal with life? What am I going to deal with now? How do I want to move forward? Has it stopped you from doing anything? No. Has it stopped me from doing anything? Not necessarily. Because like I said, I became a firefighter and I was like second in the class with my arm. I still don't have a wrist. I don't have an elbow. It's just bone on bone, basically. And so you can see, you know, this scars and, and the damage that was there. And they had to take tendon transfers and artery transfers from this arm, skin grafts for my legs and, and things like that. And then I got staph infection. And realistically, it was interesting because even while I was off on two years of rehab, I was married at the time. My wife took care of me and we actually bought a piece of property, 10 acres outside of Portland, which is insane. I would love to own that piece of property right now. We had horses and animals. So we built a barn and ended up with a house. And then my first son was born during that time. So it's not the limitations you put on yourself. It's how you approach life with the limitations you have. Mm, my dad's going to love that. Okay. <laughs> Celia, do you have any other questions? She wanted to know if you were a rabbi because she saw a picture of you with a long beard and a black hat. I, I'm not a rabbi. I still have the long beard and the black hat though. Do you want to talk to Celia about your definition of a pirate? Yes. So there's a story behind that, Celia. And the story is that when you are in radio and you are broadcasting and you don't have permission to broadcast, they call you a pirate broadcaster. My live stream was called the pirate broadcast. And so now, because you can actually pick up a phone, you can actually record and go live just like we're doing right now. Everybody has a certain amount of pirate in them because they're, they're pushing the boundaries and they're working outside the comfort zone. And so anybody that's willing to put themselves out there in the world is what I consider a pirate. Their mantra and their motivation is around kindness is cool and smiles are free. We got to say that at the end. Should we get Celia to say it before she hops off? Yes, yes. Ready? Should we all say it together? Yeah, let's all say it together. Kindness, Kindness is, cool. is cool. 
smiles are free. free. She also wanted me to remind you in our conversation, we talked a lot about Jerry Springer and my time there. And uh-huh. now I have interviewed him, which is crazy. All right. Woohoo. That is fantastic. Love it. That was such an unexpected, amazing byproduct of creating a show. Yeah. And and it's amazing who will actually come on and say yes. During this time, it's like a time like no other. People are home, man. People are reachable. And they're willing to help. People are willing to help, you know, and it's something that I I think a lot of people that haven't put themselves out there, that haven't became pirates, are really resistant to think about or consider. It's like, why me? What would I have to say that's interesting? Well, you just have to ask interesting questions. You just have to understand to pay attention and listen to what the conversation's all about. You know what else is so cool? The more people that you collaborate with, the more unique questions you're going to be asked. You will tell your story differently with every single person that asks you questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just depending on the day. And not only that, I think, and maybe you've discovered this along your journey, is that the more you articulate some of the ideas and thoughts you have, the clearer they become. Because you're actually, you know, you're planting that seed and nurturing that idea and that concept. And you're saying, okay, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is who I help. This is how I help. And then you can continue to pursue that in a more articulate way as you go through the process. Boy, you have really perfected that. I've watched a bunch of your videos and I see you doing that. And actually, every time that you say the planting the seed line, I think about the fact that you were a farmer and I want to know that story too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I got to know the stories I don't know about Russ John. So yeah, tell me about when you were a farmer. You know, after I fell, we had that 10 acres in Portland, Oregon. And at the time we had animals, we had chickens, we had sheep, we had horses, llamas. And I was working insane hours. I was traveling between Seattle, Portland, LA, Miami, Boston. I was working for the radio television broadcasting. I used to work for the Seattle Sonics in the outdoor division. Uh, I became their safety director when I came back and wrote fall protection programs. As a result of that process and having acreage, we had an orchard. I would come home and work on the farm. And then in 1995, we decided to move closer to Seattle, but we didn't want to move in Seattle because my wife was from Seattle. Because with animals, it's nice to have a drier weather. So we actually ended up moving out by the Olympic Peninsula out in a place called Squim, Washington. And Squim, Washington is what they call a weather anomaly. It's basically 75 miles away from one of three temperate rainforests in the world, which is out on the coast. So it gets very little rain. So in Squim itself, it rains between 11 and 18 inches a year. And for every mile outside of Squim, it gets another inch of rain. So like it's, it could be pouring down rain in Seattle, but by the time you get to Squim, it's, it's like a blue hole opens up into the sky. So we moved there, we bought 30 acres and then we started going to a sustainable farming program. So then I wrote a grant, we started a farmer's market and grew heirloom potatoes, lavender. I planted another orchard. I had at one point in time planted 500 blueberry plants, all while I was working in Seattle as well. So this was 
insane amount of time. So waking up at before four o'clock, like 3.50 in the morning, driving into Seattle, which was a long commute, two and a half hours, essentially, and working as a telecommunication director of communications for the Ackerley Group, and then driving home, working on the farm. Our goal was to build it up so I could do that full time. And then in 2002, the Ackerley Group sold out and my position was eliminated and Clear Channel purchased it. And it's like, all right, have a nice day. And so that kind of blew up and actually I got divorced the same week. <laughs> so we decided to get divorced because I was exhausted. You know, I was going to the farmer's market. I was planting plants and crops and coming home, pulling weeds and taking care of animals and all of this thing, fencing on the weekends and going to the farmer's market and driving, and then flying to you know, Seattle or Portland or, you know, wherever I had to go. And I did that for 15 years. So Whoa, that can be hard on a relationship, I would imagine. Yeah, it was hard on a relationship. And, you know, as a father, I had two boys at the time. And as a father, I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing everything I can so my family can live this dream. And it ended up becoming my nightmare. It was very destructive. And I'm lucky I lived through it, actually. Oh, my God. So it was Who really- did you call for wisdom? I was pretty isolated at, at that point in time. I was in a dark place. After my position ended, you know, that was my job. That was my identity. That was who I was. I mean, I was, Ugh. I had gone from very bottom of the company up to the corporate office and I was managing, you know, millions of dollars worth of telecommunications and circuits and services and providing all this service and actually helped create the software that is used today in scheduling cabs and billboards and buses and kiosk in airports went through a you know a multiple year process on that and traveled all over the country for for that wow and and just poured myself into the work and it led to my own demise so to speak why do you think you did that i have tendency to to be workaholic it's my dad my sisters have the same mm -hmm. ability to lose themselves in their work and it's taken me a long time to recognize that and adjust that because I love what I do. Yeah. I mean, even right now. And that wasn't the first time that happened. So it's like, I've spent almost 20, over 26 years in organizations that no longer exist. And I've Have climbed- you reflected on that? Wow. And I climbed the ladder like three times. So it's like after 2010, after I was laid off last time, it's like, I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> so yeah, I have reflected on that. And it's sobering to think I've invested that much time in somebody else's dream and ambition only to be disposed of, so to speak. That's really where I continue to go back because I, I love helping people. I love solving problems and I love providing solutions and I'm really good at it. You know, being able to create content or uh, help engineers and provide guidance for clients and, you know, put things in place and project manage and all these things, all these skill sets that I've acquired over the years. I'm good at it. I get along with people. So I make a good employee. However, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had a side job. I've always had something going on in the side. You know, even when I was in high school, I I had multiple positions. I taught drum lessons. I played music in, in bars and I actually worked construction on the side. And, and you, know, you did that with your dad, right? Yeah. You know, he would take me to, he would drag me out of bed on Saturdays and I would go to the job site and we would learn how to give me a bucket and say, go pick up nails, straighten up nails. I mean, it was basically giving me something to do while I was there. I'm five years old or something like that, you know? And I actually, when I was probably 10 or 11, I worked all summer long and he paid me 50 cents a an hour and I was stacking steel rebar and concrete forms 
and that was how I bought my first motorcycle. Crazy. All right. You learned the value of a dollar, huh? Oh, absolutely. Just those experiments and those experiences just really produced a lot of outcome that I've learned along the way. You know, I've built homes. I worked construction, built restaurants, had farms, I've farmers market, I've wrote grants, I did project management, built software, created music, played to you know, thousands of people. And, you know, I've had an amazing life and opportunity. And there's really, you know, you think back on the moments and you think, okay, what do I want to carry forward with me? You know, you can only carry so much baggage, right? Let's not continue to carry baggage. However, those experiences and those lessons are the wisdom that we have today, good or bad. What have been the biggest lessons? Forgiveness. That's a really tough one. Yeah. Who's been the hardest to forgive? And are there people that you haven't been able to forgive? I'm pretty clean on that. For the most part, I have a tendency to be a little harder on myself than I think I probably need to be. You know, when I lost my son, I really had to reflect on how I could have been a better father, how I could have been more present. There's always the coulda, shoulda, woulda thought process that you have to kind of unpack and unwind and say, it is exactly what it is. And this is the lesson I need to learn. And I can be better going forward. I can't change the past. And so you really have to, you know, that's where forgiveness comes in. Patience, forgiveness, the empathy of understanding that you don't see everything the way other people see things. It's a time right now, especially in the last few years, you know, where a lot of people have to be little more understanding. And that's where the kindness is cool and smiles are free came from is, you know, I've lost a couple of sisters. I've had a lot of tragedy in my experience living. It goes back to, you don't know what other people are going through. You don't know the pain or the challenge that they're struggling with. And so you can either contribute to that or reduce it. And kindness and smiles and compassion is a way that you can actually help a lot of people out. You know, I had a couple people reach out to me today and literally they said like maybe one sentence or two, like one girl said to me, I just want you to know that I see you and you are amazing. And the other one was similar to that. And I messaged them back with a voice note. And I was like, you don't know like how much that means to me. Thank you for seeing my hustle. Like, and you are awesome for doing that. It was completely, we we haven't even ever gotten on the phone. I mean, we have a virtual relationship, but if you can say that to someone like, you know, I saw somebody pop up on my LinkedIn feed and I know that they're going through cancer. And I just said, how's your day today? If you know that somebody is going through something, it literally can be as simple as one line like that. Like, I just want to let you know, I'm thinking about you, or I just want to let you know, I see you hustling and you're awesome. That can make such a difference in someone's life. Have you done stuff like that too? Oh Yeah. In fact, when uh, texting first came out, I used to make it a habit of everybody that was on my list. I used to rotate through and, and just say, hey, checking in, wanted to let you know I'm thinking about you. I mean, it's a simple two second task. However, I know how I feel when somebody randomly touches base and says hello and catches up or just says checking in, thinking about you. And it, it just that that emotion, that instant dopamine that hits your system and says, wow, that's very considerate. That's awesome. That can really change someone's day, week, probably month or year. Do you feel comfortable talking about what happened with your son? 
Yeah, I would like to continue to be open about it because if it helps anyone ever, it can make a difference in somebody's life. It's really one of those things that I will never know. He didn't leave any indication that he was checking out. It was one of those things that I, from the outside, everything was wonderful. He was like a semester left of being a, in the union. He was a pipe fitter. He was ready to graduate. He had a long-term girlfriend, did a lot of traveling. You know, he used to have cookouts and barbecues in his backyard and had, had a ton of friends. He actually went to a concert one time and had somebody that was in the audience in a wheelchair. He put on his shoulders for the whole concert, even though his back was messed up. He was an amazing human. He would stop traffic for pets and he would rescue dogs all the time. He was just one of those individuals that you could rely on if you needed help. He was going through pain that none of us will ever understand. He didn't share that with you? Well, no. I mean, he would be down on occasion. And he was, I think he was incredibly sensitive individual. In fact, the last time I had a conversation with him, you know, because I had success in corporate America. And when I left corporate America and I decided to do my own thing, he could never understand why I would want to be an entrepreneur. It was like he didn't get that gene for some, you know, he was like, dad, just go get a job, make it easier. Because he would see the ups and downs and it's like the struggles and some of the frustrations that exist as being an entrepreneur. Everybody experiences it. And at some point in time, I said, you know, son, I've been there, done that, and I need to do something for myself now. And so he finally got that. He understood that it's like, okay, dad's going to do what he's going to do. And it was a good conversation. And, and uh, last time I saw him was you know, Thanksgiving 2017, you know, 2018, Cinco de Mayo. He had just gone to the movie theater. He was like irritated and agitated and he just went home. In fact, his girlfriend says, I'm going to, I'm going to catch an Uber. I'll see you. Cause they got in a little argument because he was upset and agitated. And when she got home, she found him and, um, or unfortunately, he hung himself. Oh my God. And they took him to one of the hospitals in Houston because he was in Houston at the time. They both followed me down to Houston. And in that center, what they do is they put him on life support, which is, you know, even though he was brain dead, they put him on life support and then they recruit everybody that needs a, any kind of a organ transplant. And they bring him into the same hospital and all these surgeons do organ transplants simultaneous to everybody. So I have a, a actually a ward, like 12 people received organs from my son. Whoa. I just got chills all over my whole body. Oh yeah. my God. So knowing Parker the way I know Parker, it wasn't an accident that he hung himself. You know, that's, this is the story I can only tell myself because I don't know the facts. However, he thought through the process well enough to know that that was the most productive way he could exit and still provide value to somebody else around him. Wow. That's a really beautiful thing to say. Have you met any of the families of the lives that you changed? That story could probably be an entirely new episode. <laughs> Because I got to the hospital and his mother was there. We had since divorced and there was a lot of animosity, oh. a lot of a lot of challenging moments where I was basically excluded from the activities of the hospital. So rather than create being an agitator, it was not what my that's not my role. I had a similar experience when my sister died. I had a sister when she was 15, she fell off the back of the horse and had a head injury. Oh and so God. she was an organ donor. And so walking in and seeing my son, oh. 
with the same condition my sister was, you know, reliving that whole process. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly where my son was. I knew exactly what was taking place. And so I didn't need to be at the hospital to grieve as a father. And so uh, there's a lot of animosity around that idea. And, you know, I was there to support my son, which he was had his own grieving process. And he had to, you know, it took him a long time to get through that because him and his brother were really, really tight. So it was a challenge to say the least. Does he talk about it? Like, have you guys been able to talk about it? Yeah, we talk about it. He's actually uh, at a point, you know, I was talking to him the other night and we were talking about the frustration of life and and how you can get so invested in, you know, work life and making the next dollar and, and how it basically, uh, you create your own prison of sorts. The one thing that he always says is, I wonder what Parker would be doing because Parker was one that he didn't really, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to go take a trip to Colorado and check out a new brewery or something. It's like, and he would take just time off. And if he got laid off from being a pipe fitter, he would go take a vacation or go travel someplace. And, and I think that that's not everybody's lifestyle and it's not everybody's choice. However, it's one of the things that Parker enjoyed doing. And so him and his girlfriend would take off and go places that they'd, they'd go over to New Orleans and go to concerts and go experience life. And, and it was really, it was really cool and refreshing to, to watch him. When you go to concerts and experience life, do you think about him in that way? Are you like, this one's for Parker? Well, I grew up that way. I mean, I was, I was in a bar when I was 16 playing, <laughs> I was playing music at the time. And I had those kinds of experiences. I traveled all over the Northwest. And, and so I'd tell these stories and, and that's, I, I think some of the things that, you know, and, and when, after our divorce, I'd have to take the kids and, and I'd load up the mountain bikes and we'd go mountain biking and I took them all over the Northwest and traveled like 6,000 miles and epic adventures and camping and everything else. And they enjoyed and appreciated that as they were growing up in their older years. And then they both followed me when I got, I took a position down in Houston and six months later they laid me off, but <laughs> it's like, but they were both down there and my son, my younger son is still in Houston. He's doing really, really well in terms of, you know, position and work and life. However, he's missing Seattle and missing the, the farm and the ability to go out and camp in the trees, different scenario. And that's the thing is we all have these experiences. And the way I look at it, Rena, is chapters in the book of life. You, know, you have these chapters and you just have to go through them and say, that was interesting or that was painful or that was exciting and you know good bad or indifferent they're they're experience that draws us into wisdom and that's what allows us to become who we are and what we become is you know our life story our legacy yeah i talked to another guest that said if you don't share it then why did you experience it do you feel like that yeah that's a great way of explaining it i feel more now than before sharing some of these experiences are really therapeutic. You know, now that I'm living here in Arizona, I moved here to care for mom and dad, you know, and dad passed away a year ago, Father's Day. So I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I was up in the mountains with my son at the time and I fell. Well, I was running down the hill, redoing a photo shoot. And so I was running down this hill and I fell, broke my hip. No. Yeah, I broke my hip. So the day before my father's celebration, I was in the hospital getting uh, pins in my leg. And then my son drove me back to Arizona the next day. So I was like, oh, this kind of weekend just kind of went south. I think maybe you should have gone into wrestling because you like have the ability to take a lot of pain. 
Yes, I do. I've been through a lot of a lot of pain. In fact, my first motorcycle, as I told you about my mom, she made a shirt from all of the pants that I ruined from being on a motorcycle. <laughs> well, at least it was a shirt and not a blanket. Yeah. So all of these things are connected, though. This is the beauty of life. This is the celebration that we have. You know, when people say, oh, why did that happen to me? It's like, no, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you because there was something ultimately that you needed to learn along your journey. Because ultimately, where I am today is a direct result of all the decisions I made along the way. Taking responsibility for those actions or inactions or the ability or the inability for me to move forward is what allowed me to be who I am today. So sharing those experiences in a way, and I think about this all the time, and I say this on the on the show, is imagine if you could record a story from somebody in 1820 and sit there and have a conversation with them and imagine what that would be like. And that's exactly what's going to happen you know, 200 years from now. And people can hear this conversation and learn something about who we are. Did you record your parents at all? I have. That's cool. I need to uh, record them more. Yeah, I need to record my mom. She has lots of stories. I keep telling her, hey, let's let's record your mom. She goes, oh, my hair. <laughs> it's like, well, God bless her for still being concerned. I mean, some yeah. people, you know, I'm probably at my grandmother's age, I would imagine I'm going to have like purple hair and not hair. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Yeah. The reality is, is life is a beautiful it's a gift. Every day we wake up is a gift. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's say, what can I create today? What can I approach? Who can I help? How can I influence somebody in a positive way? That's really what it's like. Life is all about for me anyway. I really feel like too, like you are one of those people that are willing to give anyone a chance. Like, can you talk about what it's like to interview for you or to help somebody tell their story? Like, do you just wing it? Do you have a process there too? I have a process about getting people on the show, which by the way, I, I have been off the show for a number of weeks. I, I have almost 600 episodes and I've taken a break because I've been working on the Pirate Syndicate, which is... I want to help more people help more people. That's my goal. I love that. And so the process is I have no issue whatsoever getting people on the show. And I have a lot of people asking to be on the show. And I seldom do any research in advance. And I typically just start up. And a lot of times I will just, I'll take a look at, you know, whatever material they sent me in the interview, pro in the onboarding. I will, you know, have a few minutes in advance of the pushing record. And I'll just talk with them and kind of get the vibe and the feel and make them relax, feel, make them feel comfortable. And then I'll talk about whatever they have decided is their focus of interest or their whatever they want to engage in, whether it be marketing and sales or you know branding or life or mental health or whatever it happens to be. We'll just carry on the conversation because I've had enough experience in my life. I can carry on a conversation about almost any subject and ask good questions, hopefully, in a, in a way that they will respond. And the only danger with that is you don't always know how the guest is going to react or respond. So it's almost like a game for me to be able to get the conversation to work well. And, you know, cause some people just get excited and they just want to, I just have to ask one question. The show's over <laughs> or they answer very no. Yes. No. 
So you had to, you just kind of have to roll with it. And I'm sure the experience you've had the same kind of experience as well. Oh yeah. Have you literally, like I have had one guest, I think I asked one question and he went the entire hour and then I was yeah. like, okay, we got to do a follow-up because that was it. <laughs> I had more questions. <laughs> well, and sometimes they're great storytellers and sometimes not quite. You just have to go. But that's the beauty of life. It's it's like asking somebody at the grocery line, you know, how's your day? What what brings you excitement today? And listening for an answer, not listening to respond, but listening for an answer. Yeah, I would say that that is maturity and becoming a better interviewer when you really are listening for the answer. Yeah, it makes a difference. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah. even though I was listening for the answer right there, I did have another question. <laughs> already that I was thinking about. So I'm also curious because you just mentioned the pirate syndicate and mm -hmm. I heard you talking about that you're looking for producers. So when you say that you're looking for producers, what is a good producer to you? Let's step back a little bit. Okay. Because let's move in with the premise that we all start at zero. And after, you know, probably over podcasting, live streaming, I've produced thousands of episodes of content. Like yourself, you know, you've been in production, you understand what that production cycle looks like. So as a producer, what I'm looking for is somebody that is a lifelong learner that wants to continue to improve and improve their skills along the way and also help others improve their skills. So a team player, somebody that really wants to be a contributor, somebody that can see gaps in where things can improve and understand the overall process, even though they may not be an expert in any, any of the processes. And then also with the Pirate Syndicate, my goal is to be able to create a team of individuals willing to learn. And then we start building credentials around or uh, lessons that we can actually become better at producing for other people. And then the pirate syndicate is starting to have conversations with agencies that don't have that skill set. So if I go out to an agency and I say, hey, I have a, an incredible team of creators that can actually take start to finish, create your podcast, your live stream, your social media posts, all of this content from you know start to finish. If you need some extension to your team, you're not quite ready to hire a team, love to work with you for your clients. That's where it's going to start. So if you have some individuals that are independent, then they can fill in the blanks. Then it becomes a project management portfolio of, so if Reen is good at one thing and Russ is good at one thing, then the clients can say, okay, this is what the skill set I need. Okay. Then you have to ask, okay, what's the availability and what's the skill set do I need to apply? And how long is it going to be? Is that a good fit? We make that fit just like a recruit broker and somebody that's we're all working independent at this point in time and so as that evolves and continues to evolve then people have an opportunity to actually see what the process is we can get interns in we can actually create more uh, producers and and help people learn the skills if they want to go out and do it on their own they can go out and do their own thing and they can expand and but i can i can continue to teach and share this information with people that want to learn this skill. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So Monday, I am pushing myself out of my comfort zone and I'm going to do a live because I actually prefer pre-recorded. Yeah. And you are the king of live. That <laughs> is totally your superpower. So if you were giving me some pointers, uh -huh. what is really the difference between live and what we're doing right now? The difference that you'll experience as you continue to, to learn to go live is that you will have comments 
from people that are showing up and the engagement process of that, it just takes a bit of awareness. You know, the peripheral vision that you have in, in the comments and, and recognizing the people that continue to show up and knowing, hey, Elise is from South Africa. I got London, D David from London is, is in the house, you know, Hyatt from Houston and Marsha, she, you know, this product here is, you know, this is part of her product. And making those conversations come alive is broadens the kind of the narrative of the topic in the show. And I think it's nice to be able to engage people from the outside, but it's it does take a little bit of practice and a little bit of awareness to, to get comfortable with it. And give yourself permission, latitude, and, you know, like I said, forgiveness. You know, forgive yourself. It's like, like learning an instrument. The first note is not the best note. The more you practice, the more it becomes and improves the skills that you have and the opportunities that you have and, the, and everything that you've grown already is by far further along than most people ever experience. Okay. So I'm going to ask you something that you're probably asked all the time, but I feel like it goes along with what we're talking about. If somebody wanted to start a podcast, if someone wanted to start putting themselves out there, what would you tell them? Pick up the phone and start recording. Start, get past the starting stage. You can improve it all along the way. It doesn't matter where you start as long as you start. Even if you stop after so many episodes, you know, find out if it's you, if it's for you or not. As you know, you've done a few episodes now and you have to have a why behind it. You have to have a reason to, to show up and turn on the microphone. And if that's not clear to you, and that's not something that you're comfortable with, the chance of you succeeding because you want to earn money or you want to sponsor or something like that is really the wrong reason to start a podcast. It's the wrong reason. Having the opportunity to help someone by sharing your experience or your your knowledge is a great opportunity to leave a legacy, to build a brand, to be seen, to be heard and be talked about in the most positive way is, is a great reason. And don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the fame. Do it because you want to help. Do it because you want to make a difference. You want to make it matter. And that's the biggest advice I can give. Because when you do something you love and you're helping others, money is a symptom. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I actually love that you say put your personality into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Show how, up as yourself. Yeah, how have you been able to kind of like inject your personality into your show? Well, some days it's uh, difficult. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like there's some days and some conversations that, you know, just like you, you did Jerry Springer and you understand you have to show up even when you don't feel like showing up. I played music for one period in time in my life. I played every single night for four years. So have my wisdom teeth pulled out. I still showed up. I still played. You know, I had a tetanus shot. I couldn't even hardly move my arm. I still showed up and played. You know, all of these things, you know, wrecking on a motorcycle and, you know, not being very flexible, still showed up and played. And you have to do it because there's a driving desire to make sure that you're there and you're present and you're doing something important because it makes a difference. Yeah. People can feel that. I love that. Oh my God. Four years. Yeah. That's commitment. And, you know, I'll be honest, like a big part of the reason I wanted to do this other than getting a special time with my dad, that is definitely like, haha to my sisters, but no, <laughs> was to get better at having conversations like these, like being more comfortable in front of a camera and getting better at writing and getting better at storytelling. And all of that, like you said, is going to happen 
by doing more and more of it. Yeah. People overcomplicate the process. What I say is fear and faith are two parts of the same coin. It still requires us to believe in something we can't see most of the time. And so if you just put yourself out there, become a pirate, you know, you're outside the boundaries. You're, you're not asking for permission. You're just doing it. The more you do it, the more comfortable you become. And you know what? Let's tell them how easy it can be. You said, pick up your phone. Like literally you can make voice memos today if you have an idea. Yeah. You know, if I've had to do a couple pickups with my dad where he is taking care of my grandma in Florida. And I'm like, dad, go to voice note. I just need you to say one thing. Yeah. And it's just voice memo, or you can actually, that's probably the simplest thing. So you can actually put it out there or you can just fire up a page on Facebook and you don't have to publish it. You can just put it out there and just practice because here's the secret. When everybody first records themselves, they don't really like their voice. And when you're first on video, nobody likes the way they look. And the sooner you get past that and the more effective you are at getting past that, the more comfortable you are wherever you are. And so it doesn't mean just behind the microphone or just behind the camera. You start getting more comfortable with life in general and sharing your ideas and your thoughts. There's a lot of reasons to do it. I've noticed even my dad's getting better at it. (laughs) He's been an entrepreneur and a business owner for years, and he's very comfortable in front of a crowd, I'm sure. You know, totally is. Is there anything that you want to ask him? How did you survive, sir? (laughs) I grew up with four sisters, so my dad was patient. Oh, that's a big piece. Yeah, it's a big piece. Patience. I'm excited for you, Rena, and I just look forward to more adventures and bigger things and amazing conversations. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Yes, please let people know how they can find all your resources and become a pirate. Absolutely. Well, the quickest and easiest way is probably just go to LinkedIn and connect with me. I'm able to connect and I I respond to notes and messages. As you know, you can go follow the episodes at russjohns.com, or you can even go over on the Pirate Syndicate and take classes or courses over there. There's a lot of free courses over there that I can continue to fill up and share with the, the community over there. Those are the three locations that I hang out most. This has been a tremendous blessing. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed reconnecting with you, Russ. Always love it. Thank you, Rena. Appreciate you. Now. Let's switch it over to Grandpa. I got to listen to a very unbelievable story, really, of Russ Johns that you interviewed. And I I wasn't sure if this guy was trying to be Superman or not, you know, where he can leap buildings at a single bound, run into trains or fall off motorcycles. But unfortunately, it's finding out that you pull some of these stunts, you can break all the bones in your body. But it doesn't stop him, though from persevering, from rising to levels that most people would just say it's all over, that there's no way to succeed in life, no matter what has happened to him and what disasters or catastrophes he's had to face in his life, physically or mentally. He knows that you have to be positive. And if you want to have a legacy, it's not a legacy about yourself. It's a legacy of trying to see how much positive influence you can be with your experiences as you've gone along and to be able to share that story with other people, to be able to share your wisdom and your experiences and to do it in a shining light, in a positive way, so that your message can help other people that are experiencing, whether it's depression or events that seem to be obstacles that are just too hard to overcome. And he's proving that even though we have human frailty, 
we can still overcome just about everything. If God willing, we're able to wake up the next day. I like that. What did you think of his kindness is cool message? Well, I tell you, no, he also is a believer in forgiveness and having patience. And I guess you can add the word humility. But you know what he also learned is that because he was challenged by some of these disasters, and challenged with his home life and where he stepped up also and worked to the point where you have to question yourself that if you don't have balance in your life, becoming a workaholic or being a perfectionist, you can sometimes actually miss the boat on some very important things. And that's why you have to have balance and you have to have your family included in what you're doing and where you can be able to spend time or as much time, quality time in your work as you do in your home life as well. And uh, you have to really have both if you want to have true fulfillment, in my opinion. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thank you.